our God, we do indeed say to you, Alleluia. We thank you that indeed Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We thank you, O Lord, that we have been included in the great resurrection harvest which has followed in his train. And Lord, we pray for the day of which the prophet spoke in our midst, that the reaper would climb up the back of the sower, that we would see fruitfulness in such abundance in our midst, that you would be pleased, and that your name would be great among the children of men, that more lips would praise you, that more needs would bow before your lordship. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of having your word, which is truth and light. We thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of our imbalances, our prejudices because of sin, the blindness of our eyes, and the hardness of our hearts, we thank you, O Lord, that you give us an instrument by which the hardest heart can be softened, and those eyes most firmly closed can be opened to see the glorious light in your person. Our God, we we remember especially this morning of this family, of this fireman whose life was taken. Lord, we do not know much about him, but we do know, O oh Lord, that this reminds us of the shortness of life, the uncertainty of our days. We know, O oh Lord, that it tells us again that the, the most important thing for each of us is, is to know how we stand with you, to be in right relationship with you. And Lord, we, we do pray that indeed, if, if this man was one of your children, that you would give his family rejoicing that he is in your presence. We pray, Father, that if he was not, and if they are not among the hosts of Israel, we pray, Father, that you would show them that they need to repent, lest they likewise perish. Father, we know how hard it is to, to lose loved ones, the separation that comes about. And we just pray, Father, that you would give strength to this, uh, to the mother, if they have children, we pray, Father, that you would enable their lives to be affected in a positive way by this, that they would improve this affliction uh, for their blessing, and, Lord, that uh, they, it might be a testimony to those around them. Father, we thank you for the protection that you give us in the shadow of your wings. We thank you that you have spared us from the ravages of this fire. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. 
Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Look at verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that we can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The miracle that I just read to you is the only miracle, other than the resurrection of Jesus himself from the dead, which is recorded in all four of the New Testament Gospels. This miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, is a favorite story of children. It's very effective uh, for Sunday school teachers to point out that a little boy was the one who provided the five loaves and two fishes as the uh, resource for the miracle. And mothers like this story. They like to point out that Jesus doesn't like his people to waste their food. After all, he made the disciples clean up all the leftovers. And of course, uh, we can draw these kind of... Uh, moral lessons from the Bible. Ministers, and uh, ministers of all kinds, rightly appeal to verse 31 as a biblical encouragement for um, taking a day off as a vacation or coming away to a place like this. And uh, to me, though, the, the problem is when we try to stop at just these secondary kinds of lessons that we can gain from great passages such as this one. If we stop there, we have uh, lost the, the glory of this, of this message. What is the uh, glory of this message? What is the greatest significance that... that uh, our Lord is trying to get across to us by including it in four of the Gospels. Well, as a matter of fact, it's not too easy to see the greatest significance of this message at first glance. This is confirmed to us by the fact that the disciples who were there with Jesus missed the true significance of what was happening. Immediately after the feeding of the 5,000 here, and it was night, 
Jesus went for a boat ride and ended up, um, Jesus' disciples went for a boat ride. And they ended up being terrified by what they thought was Jesus' ghost. And why was it? Verse 2, 52 of chapter 9. Why was it that they were terrified? They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Now you see, Jesus is a very patient teacher. So what he did is to perform the miracle again. In Mark chapter 8, we read about how Jesus fed not 5,000, but 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. But did the disciples understand the significance of the miracle after a second showing? No. And we find Jesus using even stronger words to rebuke their slowness and their laziness to come to grips with with the situation. Mark chapter 8 verse 17 says, Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. And then he said to them, do you still not understand? So the thing is, there is a message here which we had better think about. We better go beyond those uh, simple little moral lessons that we learn as Sunday school children. What are we being told here? I think uh, what we're being told here is what uh, we are told in the next chapter in Luke when we see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. What we are being told here is something about who Jesus is. What we are being shown here is that Jesus is the new Moses. You remember how Moses led the people of God out of Egypt into the wilderness. That was their first destination, the wilderness. That was the place where uh, Moses told Pharaoh that uh, he was going to take uh, the sons of God. And he took them to the wilderness for what purpose? Well, in order that God might teach Israel his laws, Mount Sinai, in order that he might feed them bread from heaven, in order that he might give them meat from heaven. And even as God said to Moses and the Israelites in chapter 33, verse 14, as they were marching out of Egypt into the desert, my presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. That was the purpose of bringing them out, in order that God might bring them in to his rest. Well, even so, we see that Jesus Christ is functioning here also as the new Moses. Jesus Christ is gathering his people, not out of Egypt, but out of the villages and towns. Jesus Christ is taking them into the desert. Chapter 8, verse 35 of Mark, we're told that it was a remote place. It was a wilderness. And what was the purpose for which Jesus brought his people into the desert? Jesus said in Mark 6, verse 31, Come to me, 
uh, come with me to a quiet place and get some rest. And what did Jesus do uh, with this crowd of people in the wilderness? Well, he did, again, what God had done with the children of Israel at Mount Sinai and afterward. He welcomed them as his people. He taught them. He fed them. So Jesus led them like Moses, but of course Jesus is greater than Moses because uh, unlike Moses, uh, he not only led them to God, but he led them to himself. Now it's interesting here to notice who it is that the people are that Jesus fed, that Jesus fed. Who are these people? Well, these people just didn't come out of nowhere. There weren't people, 5,000 people, just sort of standing around in the desert. And when Jesus happened to come in the vicinity and he started preaching, uh, they sort of gathered around him, you see. Uh, That wasn't the situation at all. We read that Jesus took his disciples to the wilderness for rest and nourishment. This comes out more clearly in, uh, in Mark, if you want to look at that. In uh, is it Mark chapter six, verse thirty-one? Mark chapter six, verse thirty-one. We read that um, Jesus took his disciples with him to the wilderness for the purpose of rest and nourishment, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, "Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest." But what were they resting from? Well, you remember that they had just come, uh, they had just come from going out two by two to all the villages and towns around Galilee. They had been preaching the gospel, they had been healing the sick, and now after they returned from their work and they reported to Jesus, Jesus said, let's go, let's get away from the job here and let's get some rest and relaxation, some personal ministry by Jesus to them. But what happens when the group of them goes to the desert? Well, we read in Mark chapter 6, verse 33, that people from all the towns recognized them. Now, who are these people? Well, most likely the people to whom they had preached. The people to whom they had preached, and probably their friends, those who had heard the message, uh, followed after them so that they too could receive some rest and nourishment in the wilderness. So what, in effect, is going on here? Well, in effect, we have a new exodus led by the new Moses. The new Israel of God is being gathered together uh, at a table of blessing, a table whereby they could receive uh, peace and rest and food. A table is being spread before them in the desert, uh, just like a table, food and drink, spiritual food and drink, was spread before the children of Israel. In the Old Testament, it's very interesting to notice here in the feeding of the 5,000 that just as Israel in the wilderness, when they camped, were split up into groups of fifties and hundreds, even so, the interesting detail is mentioned here that the 5,000 were seated in groups of fifties to emphasize that they are the new Israel of God. But uh, the imagery continues to go on here in this feeding of the 5,000. Mark tells us here that Jesus had compassion on the crowd. Jesus had compassion on the crowd. Well, why did he have compassion? Well, according to Mark in verse 34, 
They were like sheep without a shepherd. That's why he had compassion on them. And of course, the use of the shepherd imagery here is tied in directly with what uh, Dennis was telling us yesterday from Ezekiel chapter 34. Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of the sheep, that one shepherd over Israel that God promised to his people in days of old uh, when they were suffering from the ravages of unfaithful shepherds. And so this event here, this feeding of the 5,000 in the wilderness, is at least a partial fulfillment of that promise that was made long ago in Ezekiel 34, quote, I will search for my sheep and look after them. I will receive them from all the places where they have scattered. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. My servant David will be their shepherd. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert. I will send down showers, showers of blessing. Then they will know that I, the Lord, am with them. And of course, the book of Revelation picks up this very same concept when we read in chapter 12 of the woman, the woman uh, who is, of course, the church of Jesus Christ in the symbolism there in Revelation chapter 12. The woman is given wings. So that, for what purpose? According to verse 14 of Revelation chapter 12, the woman, the church, is given wings so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert, where she could be taken care of out of the reach of the serpent, out of the reach of Satan. And so you see, this is the message that the disciples were obviously missing. You see, Jesus Christ was bringing them to a wonderful place. Jesus Christ was bringing them to the great messianic feast. He was bringing them to the table of God. He was bringing them to a table which he had filled with showers of blessings, with spiritual food and drink. He was bringing them there in order that he might minister to them. And the thing is that they thought that uh, there was nothing there, and so they had to go elsewhere. Now, you see, there's no question that, uh, that we live in a wasteland. Uh, in Dennis's first message, he emphasized that to us. We live in a wilderness. We live in a world of sin. There's a lot of spiritual uh, dryness and death out there. There's a lot of wildness. But the thing is, we need to remember that uh, the promise is still to us as it was to the people in the days of Ezekiel, the promise is still the same to us as it was given through David the shepherd. And that is that the Lord is our shepherd and that we will not lack any good thing, even in the midst of a wilderness, even in the midst of a spiritual wasteland, because he will spread a table before us, even, yea, in the presence of our enemies. He will spread a table before us and give us a blessing, no matter how dead or dark things look like. But you see, the problem is that we're like the disciples and we're like the Israelites in the Old Testament. We look at the wilderness not as an opportunity to rejoice and to feed. We look at the wilderness as an opportunity to complain and to grumble. We grumble sometimes about how little we have 
compared to how much we had when we were back there in good old Egypt. We grumble about the kind of life that we have as we go through the wilderness with all of these same old people that we have to live with day after day and rub shoulders with and get into problems with. We complain about doing the same old things and having to eat the same old food, that same old boring manna, that same old boring Christian life. And perhaps we think that uh, the real excitement is going to come in some millennial age. Perhaps it's going to come at the return of Jesus Christ. Who knows? But the thing is, it's not happening now. We don't have that uh, uh, wonderful blessing that it seems that God was promising to us in the Old Testament prophets. And what is the sin of Israel in the Old Testament that made God so angry with them? And the Bible says that God was angry with his people. The sin was their unbelief. They refused to believe that God was really present with them and that God was really present with them with power and with resources. You see, God had divided the Red Sea in front of them. He had split the rocks in the desert. He had made the water flow down like rivers, according to the psalmist. And then the Israelites had the nerve, the nerve, to ask the grossly unbelieving question, Psalm 78, verse 9, can God spread a table in the desert? They had the nerve to ask that question after all of the great wonders that God had done in days before then. Indeed, in their own lifetime can God spread a table in the desert. You see, the sin is that the table has been spread, but because of their lack of faith, they refuse to eat of what is available to them. They refuse to eat what they need in order to be filled and in order to be blessed. And you see, in many ways, we are no different again from the Israelites. You see, the king has come. You see, that's the message that we preach so wonderfully on Palm Sunday. The king has come. And he has revealed himself to us. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's not just around the corner. It's at hand. It's there for us to reach out and touch. The greater than Moses has come. And he has invited us. He said to us, come to me, come into the wilderness, and I will give you rest, you who are weary and heavy laden. And the greater than Elijah has come to us and he has said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And Jesus says to us, wake up people. This is the age in which I am doing exciting things. This is the age of liberation. This is the age in which good news is preached to the poor, in which sinners are being set free from bondage to sin. This is the age in which I am granting forgiveness. This is the age of my kingdom. My kingdom is here, so get out there and preach it. Preach about the kingdom. This is urgent stuff. Get out there and tell people. Go without a staff. Go without a bag, bread, money. Go. Go and invite your neighbor to feed at the feast of what you are eating. Bring him to the feast. But we say, well, Jesus, this is really quite impossible. Uh, perhaps you don't really know what it's like out there. You haven't been around for a while. Uh, you know, you haven't been to San Francisco. Or you haven't been to Los Angeles or San Diego. It's just too much of a mess out there. People are really living for 
them horrible themselves and for so many horrible idols. It's just a mess and the odds are insurmountable. Jesus, have you, have you ever sat down and figured out how much effort it would take to get all those people turned around? How much money it would cost? How much time it would cost? Can you imagine us trying to feed 5,000 people? Are we supposed to go out and spend that much on bread? Even if we had it? We're a very small church, you know, we have a limited kind of influence. There aren't just enough resources to get the job done. And what does Jesus have the nerve to say? Give them something to eat. Give them something to eat. At this point, I'd like to give you a little handout here. Somebody can help me. I And don't read it. <laughs> we are about to enter into a world rarely trod by Presbyterian ministers. We are about to enter into the world of a limited discussion group. <laughs> this is uh, very threatening, of course, because you give up a certain amount of control uh, when you allow things like this to happen, but I'll try to keep as much control as possible. Okay. Question number one. If I had been one of the disciples when Jesus suggested that they feed the crowd, I would have A, fainted on the spot, B, quietly sneaked away, C, called the deacons to see how much money the church had, D, told Jesus I couldn't do it, E, told Jesus he didn't have a grasp of the situation, or F, apologized for bringing up the matter. What would your response be to that question? What? None of the above. Okay, none of the above. That's fine. That's one of the things. Uh, you know, as I thought back over this, I said, well, all my answers would probably not be on here. <laughs> well, what would your answer be? We would do it. You would do it? You would say how? Okay. Okay, let's go on. The scriptural account of the feeding of the 5,000 is primarily a lesson in what? Faith, human resourcefulness, spiritual power, discipleship training, dependence on God, or the nutritional value of fish sandwiches. Uh, what, is, what do you think this is primarily a lesson in? Faith? What do you mean by that? Could you say further? Belief? Belief in God, faith in God. Okay, belief in God, faith in God. Okay, somebody else want to add to that? Yeah. Dependence on God. 
of how we need to depend on God. Huh? Who is this person Christ? Who is this person Christ? Okay. Very good. Yes? Jesus the shepherd. Okay, Jesus the shepherd of the sheep. All right. What else? What is, what is this a lesson in? Yes. Okay, the spiritual power of Christ, the resources that he has, yes. All right, could you say a little bit more? So he, uh, in effect, those passages later on are saying that they missed the lesson, but he was a trainer. And what does a trainer do when somebody's missed the lesson? Well, they don't give up and say, well, forget, these people will never learn. But he was a good trainer. He went back and he taught the lesson again, and when they missed it a second time, then he really went in with them and explained, yes, all right. Very good, administration. Sat him down in an orderly groups of 50. <laughs> Anybody else? What is this a uh, lesson in? Okay. Number three, the disciples were faced with the crisis of caring for a crowd. What in your life experience represents the crowd of this passage? Some of you might want to answer this yourself and just write it down there, answer it in your heart, but maybe some of you want to share with that. Who's the crowd in your life? Yes, please. Uh, people at work, uh, people around the neighborhood. Uh, okay. Come in contact with all the time. Okay, people around work, around the neighborhood, people he comes in contact with all the time. Anybody else? Yes. Very good. The church. People who had responded to the word, disciples. Yes. That's right. Sometimes our family is the crowd, especially when you have a lot of children, right? <laughs> uh, yes, our family, the need to disciple our own family and meet their needs, right? Yes. College school party that your church has, okay? No, just at college, okay? Very good. The opportunity to minister to those people there. Mm -hmm. Yes. Sunday school class. Sunday school class. Very good. A crowd on Sunday morning. Okay. Anybody? Yes. Somebody over here? Oh. All right, 40 Laotians who decide they like your church. Right, that's, that's our crowd, at least one of our crowds. <laughs> Somebody else? What? Hispanic group. Okay, that's the crowd of people who are crowding into Los Angeles and, and San Diego, other places. Yes? Sheep that have gone astray. Sheep that have gone astray, right? Wandering sheep. And that was what was emphasized in Ezekiel 34, that the wandering sheep, they scattered all around. Somebody else? Yes. Very good. The crowd is presbytery when they come to their church and need to be fed. 
It's good. Uh, somebody else? Alright, think about what the crowd is in your own life. Apply that to yourself personally. The crowd that, that seems impossible to meet all of their needs. Who is that crowd? Okay, number four. When faced with an overwhelming need like the one that the disciples of Jesus faced, I tend to a panic. Rise to the occasion. Feel totally inadequate. Take charge. Shy away from the responsibility. Cave in under the bigness of the problem. Or wait knowing someone else will take over. <laughs> or hope someone else will take over. <laughs> Or turn immediately to God for help. What are what are some of the ways in which uh, do any of you relate to any of those? Come on, yes. You want to share that? Yes, go. You know, that's tremendous testimony because that's the way we should teach each lesson. As if it were the last one we'll ever give on earth. It's great. So, yes? Okay, take charge. Get out there and start serving. Somebody else? Okay, let's turn, uh, turn over and look at the bottom of the page and read the cartoon. Did I do five? Oh, excuse me. I skipped five. Go back to five. Five is very important. Don't read the cartoon. The five loaves and two fish of this account, though small, were the resources for a great miracle. What do the five loaves and two fish represent in your personal experience? What are the resources that you have to minister to the crowd? Yeah. Somebody back here? Yeah. Okay, economically, we have the resources, much more than anybody else on earth. Yes. Yes.
a little intimidating when you look at your small resources. You're not terribly perfect plant survival tools. Mm. So maybe that was our five loads of two fishes that the Lord really did use for a very successful Bible school. That's great. Thank you. Somebody else? That one? Over here, yes. Prayer. Prayer. Great. Prayer is the resource that we have. That's our five loaves and two fishes. Yes. The Word of God. I look at the, uh, the two, the five and the two as the limited resource I have as far as the capacity to remember certain verses in Scripture. However, mm. a total resource is the Scripture of the Bible. Mm. That's what it is. Do you all hear that? Uh, he said that um, uh, his ability, his capacity to remember specific verses of scripture is limited. So that's his five loaves and two fishes. But uh, at the same time, he has the whole of the word of God that he can use to, to work great things. That's good. But God can use even that one verse, you know, that, that we might have learned way back when we were little kids in somebody's life at one moment in time. So that may be our five loaves and two fishes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I thought Roger had his hand up. Oh, oh Sherry? <laughs> oh. Uh, I was thinking that, you know, when you're talking Uh, we want to get into this a little bit more on the next page. I was trying to emphasize in that place the personal resources that we have in our personal experience. And now on the second page, I kind of want to emphasize our churches a little bit more. Uh, read the cartoon now at the bottom. Okay, uh, let's go back up to, uh, to number six. When I think of my small amount of resources and the great needs of the world, it makes me feel sort of responsible, kind of worthless, guilty, incapable of helping, like using the little I have even if it helps only one, like getting others to help me, like forgetting about it. Anybody want to respond to that? Do you relate to any of those? Yes. serving the Lord, you're being faithful and therefore you're being successful. Right. And you know that you're worthy. Yeah. 
Okay, there, yes. He's saying that uh, um, when he sees a small amount of resources and the great needs, one of the things that he likes to do is to look at the Gospels and to see the kinds of people that God chose to use and the mighty way he used them, even though they seem to have some uh, slim equipment. when you see that there is indeed a big problem and that the way that God wants to handle a big problem is not alone but as a team the church of Christ with all the gifts that he's given to the church somebody over here has a gift You know, it was, uh, you know, in Luke chapter 5 when, uh, when Jesus was really preparing his disciples for when he wasn't going to be around anymore, as in person, physical, with them, um, he knew that they weren't ready to take on the great powers of that day, Judaism or the Roman Empire. And so he, uh, he really had to humble them. He really had to bring them to the point where where they said, "Well, Lord, I'm not good enough for you. You know, uh, you know, uh, I have to get out of your presence." And uh, that's when the Lord said said to Peter, "From now on, you're going to be catching men because you're ready now. You realize that uh, that uh, we have to just come to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am for what it's worth, and I want to serve you. So now use me.' So that kind of spirit." begins our service. Yes, Lonnie? One of the things that strikes me in serving the Lord is when Jesus used those disciples to see the crowd, the filling of their belly was not the issue. Hmm. And, uh, and then he wanted to do the task. And that always strikes me in evangelistic outreach and everything. Hmm. Uh, we're about ready to go into a task just about now. And I don't know if there's going to be any results or not, but it struck me the other day, well, we're being obedient. It's going to be sort of exciting to see what the Lord is going to do over there. And it's always been that way. Go out and pass out back here. And if faithfulness is there, then 
a good response because it makes her feel totally dependent on God. Uh, not all of us run to the Lord right away though. That's something we have to grow in. That when we see the bigness of something that we don't begin getting anxious right away but go to the Lord. Uh, come back here. tried it before and it didn't work then so it can't work now nice negative people (laughs) it seems to me that we've had a lot of positive responses and yet uh, some of the answers you put down there were some uh, negative ones perhaps which I think is a small denomination we have to confess feeling for instance incapable of helping don't we get the sense that our foreign missions uh, program where you know there as I said there are some things we may feel in our hearts that we don't share but there's the reason I put them down is to, to make us each think about how we really do feel
bring the reform faith to Africa in terms of training pastors and teaching them. And uh, in fact, you might remember there's a work starting in the uh, Washington area where he's going now to uh, minister to a kind of a captive national audience of, of some of the elite of the young men of Ethiopia who are stuck in this country because of the political situation. And who knows what you know, one man in that situation in the work of God uh, will do eventually for that nation. Uh, Kenya is another good example. We have a doctor down there, Dr. Reeser, who is an amazing person, not only a, a good physician, but uh, is able to train the natives and to spread that, that ministry of mercy. Hmm. Amazing. Hmm. Small, you know, small things that are really practice. So I think we ought to take encouragement. So perhaps uh, the, the blessing which is coming on the Eritrean church now is a, is, a, is a testimony to the fact that they don't need to depend on American missionaries, but they can depend on the Lord and see maybe greater blessing than when we were there. <laughs> yes. saying that uh, he has to give financially and that one of our problems is that such a low percentage of us in the OPC tithe and that when we do tithe we, we have much more resources than we think we do. I think we're in my case we're making excuses rather than maybe we need to stuff but If we Orthodox Presbyterians had been the disciples of Jesus at the time of this crisis, we would probably, A, still be trying to decide what to do, <laughs> appoint a study committee, <laughs> B, B, still be running in the opposite direction, C, insist that some other group was better equipped, D, have jumped at the chance to do something, E, have blamed the people for not packing their own lunch, <coughs> or F, have written their names on the prayer reminder sheet. Okay, let's go on to A. I think the five loaves and two fish of my church could be represented by our Bible knowledge, our caring for people, our commitment to Christ, our loyalty to one another, our leadership, our love for the lost, our neat style of doing things, our money, the five points of Calvinism and the two volumes of Calvinism. 
perhaps we could have some testimonies here to uh, a thankfulness to God for attributes of our churches that we think are real resources in ministering to one another and to the world. Somebody have what they, perhaps from this list here, or uh, perhaps some others. Yes. Loving relationships between people. Great. Yes, go A pastor who always preaches sermons which are relevant to needs and problems in the church. Great. Faithfulness to God's word. Faithful preaching in the LBC. Good. Yes. Uh, for me, in my church, um, I was our mission. My pastor is a great host of my preaching and evangelism. And I'm a single parent. Um, and the LBC. And the report of faith. Also, Somebody, yes. Um, say to one of the 
I'll just conclude here by reading these two statements to remind you that you are a vital and important part of the body called the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. You, along with each of your brothers and sisters here, are called upon by the Lord to use what resources he has given you to make this body everything he wants it to be. You are important here. And finally, you are a unique individual apart from this body called the OPC. God has equipped you in a very special way with resources he intended to be used to accomplish his purposes in the world and to bring honor to Jesus.